0: Classic views, Ottawa's Raptors podcast. Bryce Diamond on a chilly day here in Ottawa, but like it's pretty regular day. February, expect snow, minus eight. This is kind of what it is in Ottawa. We ain't worried about some big storm. This is just regular. Stuff and you know, sometimes we as people over exaggerate things, we over exaggerate storms, we over exaggerate how well we did on a test, we over exaggerate maybe you know how good we are, uh, in pool or on the ping pong court. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, um. Stats back things up, numbers back things up, and people's opinions, when you get a consensus from lots of different folks, um, kind of make sense of things. And one thing that's been, I think, over-exaggerated this season is how bad this year has been for the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors are currently 28-31. and 31. They started the season without a center. They started the season without a veteran quality backup point guard. And our expectations were greater than they probably should have been. And that's for many reasons. You know, one of them being that we finished in the five seed last year and we had – A few injuries, Fred Van Vliet, even Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. were injured in that opening round of the playoffs, certainly within the first three games of the playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And so people were all hyped up that we could win 50-plus games, that we might even be able to find ourselves in the three spots. But when you got a consensus from within the Toronto media world and fan base and you got some perspective outside of the Toronto bubble, you realize that a lot of folks had us somewhere between the five and the eight seed. Among other teams in that area were New York Knicks. Other teams were like the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. Certainly, a lot of noise, a lot of hype was built around the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then when they got Donovan Mitchell, even more hype. A lot of people said that they would for sure be the four seed in the East and might even make the three seed. Now, the Cleveland Cavaliers have come out and played great basketball. After losing two play-in games last year and not making the playoffs – The Cleveland Cavaliers are definitely going to be a playoff team and will likely, very likely, host an opening round series against somebody. But that somebody is definitely up for debate, and the last 23 games of the season, the final stretch of the schedule for the 2022-2023 season are up for grabs. Who will it be? Currently – The Brooklyn Nets, who imploded and saw KD and Kyrie get traded for many players and draft picks, are not going to be that five seed. Or it's very unlikely. Now, much respect must be given to Jacques Vaughn, who is now given a contract to be the head coach of that team. I think that should have been done in 2019. It was not when he was the interim. Uh, I guess it was 2020 in the bubble. Should have been Jacques Vaughn who got the contract. After the bubble, instead, it was Steve Nash. Um, The experiment with Kyrie and KD, and then later James Harden, actually never worked out. Like I said, it imploded. Steve Nash, James Harden, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are no longer on this Brooklyn Nets roster. The New York Knicks have excelled quite well this season and have probably played a couple games above expectations. They currently find themselves in the sixth seed, and I would say probably are favorites based on their performance this year, are probably favorites to face that Cleveland Cavaliers team in the first round as the five seed. After that, the Miami Heat are just a half game behind New York, and then a couple games behind them are the Atlanta Hawks, who just fired their coach, the second coach they fired in the last two years. Um, Lloyd Pierce, of course, was, was fired earlier in uh, around the midway point of the 2021 season. And now Nate McMillan is fired. Apparently, Quinn Schneider, former Utah Jazz coach, is among some of the leading candidates for that job. Just above the Toronto Raptors is the Washington Wizards, who have perpetually been in mediocrity. And then some bad luck and some real holes in the roster. The Chicago Bulls are two games beneath the Toronto Raptors, having lost six straight. The Indiana Pacers, who were kind of the Sacramento Kings of the Eastern Conference this year, exceeding expectations, actually being uh, legitimately the biggest surprise in the Eastern Conference, have faltered quite a bit after uh, Mr. Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton, got injured. And then really, I think... Came to grips with the fact that this is not a contending team this year. That this team's best year will probably be two or three years from now. But they have tons of young talent, including two Canadians, Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin, and even Chris Durate is uh, got some Canadian connections, and uh, we'll claim them. Why not? Right? Why not? Um, so the Toronto Raptors find themselves in tenth. 28 and 31, probably three to six games behind expectations. And certainly now with Jakob Purtle on the roster and Ken Birch being dealt to San Antonio for Jakob, now we have a roster that we hoped to have had at the beginning of the season. And had we had Jakob Purtle in this lineup at the start of the season, number one, Nick Nurse, I think would have had a Better opportunity to be uh, coaching a more balanced lineup would have been pressured to change his high risk high reward defense that he constantly has and would have more options and more playmaking options um, through Jakob Pirtle's high IQ and great passing game for a center would probably find ourselves between 33 and 35 wins, which would set us up for what many thought would be the case. A five or six seed, and certainly with the Nets imploding, would likely have us in the fifth seed. And if you told me before the season that we would be playing the Cavs in the opening round, I would say this makes sense. Two teams in very similar positions, having a top 20 guy with a young core, um this makes total sense and probably is a really good litmus test for both teams to say where they are currently and where they're going and my guess is that that series would go you know 6 or 7 games and that the winner of that series would probably lose in the next round to the Boston Celtics or the Maya or the Milwaukee Bucks unfortunately as we said and as we know Jakob Pertle did not get onto this team until just before the trade deadline. And the Toronto Raptors, unfortunately, threw games away, like against Minnesota, Utah, and a few other games this season. And with those games thrown away, uh, they find themselves uh, with some pressure. And we'll talk about where we find this team in the greater pressure Cooker That is the NBA. Um, But first, we want to talk about uh, or expand upon a little bit uh, about what Courtney and I talked about, which is where can we get to? Where can we get to this season? What is the likelihood of us winning more games than we lose in the final twenty three? What are the chances that the Brooklyn Nets do fall from that five seed and maybe to the seven or eight seed? Is it possible that we could host a play-in game, maybe even the seven, eight playoff game against those very Brooklyn Nets? It's tough to say for sure. There are folks who have said that our schedule, based on the team's record that we are playing against, is about the fifth or sixth hardest schedule in the NBA. However, with the Celtics uh, and the Bucs being our last three games, two games in Boston in a mini-series on April 5th and 7th, and the Bucks on April 9th, you would expect that those two teams with championship aspirations would be sitting some of their guys at that time. The other thing is that schedule um, people who evaluate the schedule and, and rank the difficulty of the schedule... Don't put in travel or back-to-backs. They simply look at the games we have and the teams we're playing against. We only have two back-to-backs, which is very different than some of the other teams that we're going up against. Many of the teams that fall between the 5 and the 12 seed have three or four back-to-backs in their final games. Some teams have 25 games or 24 games. Um, And in a situation like a back-to-back, the Toronto Raptors, in their second and third game after the All-Star break, play the Pistons and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Those games are just 30 hours apart, tip-off to tip-off. But usually a back-to-back, the tip-offs are 25 hours apart. So now we have five extra hours that we normally don't get. and Detroit is just a 30 to 45 minute plane ride over Lake Erie to get to Cleveland. So there are some scheduling situations for the Toronto Raptors that work in their favor. Also in those first six games after the all-star break, we get a mini series against the Washington wizards, a team that right now is just a half game above us in the rankings but a team that might find it quite difficult in uh, in their last 24 games of the season. And in those two games that will feel much like a playoff series, the Raptors have a better chance than they had before. And why? Because where we struggled often against this team was when they had Dinwiddie last season and the season before that, Russell Westbrook. Neither of those two players are on this team. A backup point guard with the name of Mark Monte Morris, who has played quite well, who I would love to have as our backup point guard. Monte Morris is an easier cover for a guy like Malachi Flynn. This Washington Wizards team also has two seven-footers. And we have struggled against those seven-footers in the past. With Jakob Purtle in the lineup, we take care of one of their advantages that they have had in the past. This Washington Wizards team has got some better play, a career year from Kyle Kuzma. But Bradley Beal is growing more and more disinterested in his team that he, he, he has been extremely loyal to. So is it possible that we find Bradley Beal on back-to-back nights in Washington, back-to-back games on March 2nd and March 4th in a situation where he's not up for the game as much as his team would like him to be. And we knock him off both times. The first six games certainly favor the Toronto Raptors. We even play the Pelicans without Zion Williamson. So, to have the six games that we do and then be able to gain momentum from that who knows where the season will end up now the trickiest part of the schedule without a doubt is after the first six games we play three games on a ro- on the road in a row denver la against the clippers and then again in la against the lakers all of those teams at and during that week, will want to win. The Lakers desperately need to get into the playoffs. The Clippers are wanting to build momentum to be able to put a championship season in place. And the Denver Nuggets, as the one seed, will want to ensure that they are the number one team. That the West must go through mountain high in order to get to the NBA Finals. If we can somehow pull off two wins of those three tricky games, plus win five or six of our first six after the All-Star game, I think we are in for one hell of a run. It's not guaranteed. There are other tricky games, but who knows how well the Pelicans might play. They have been solid. And if Zion gets healthy... That's a team who probably looks to get into the playoffs as the sixth seed and maybe even win a first-round game, winning an upset against a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, who would be quite beatable for the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, the Raptors have the team, the talent, the personnel to be able to pull off a big run, to not just win 12 or 13 games, but maybe even win 15, 16, 17 games. If you remember last year, our team was not as good and was not as experienced as we are this year. That team, who had quite a tricky final 36 games of the regular season, including a seven-game Western trip that saw us play against Denver and Phoenix back-to-back, went twenty-five and eleven. So if we were to win sixteen out of our next twenty-three games, and adding that to the eight and four we went going into the All-Star break, that would put us at twenty-four and eleven in our final thirty-five games. It's not out of the question when you think that Pascal Siakam, a second time All-Star and a two-time All-NBA player in the last uh four seasons. Has put up career numbers of 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists. Fred Van Vliet is back to his old self, playing his best basketball of the season. Certainly he will improve the more he gets to play with Pascal and Jakob Pertl, the three guys who are on that bench mob unit that helped take the Raptors to the number one seed in 2018. Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi probably have the most questions on them in terms of the roster. And while the floor for this team this season is likely the 10 spot, the ceiling of this team is probably the 5 spot, and it comes down to how well Gary and OG not only play, but accept their roles with their teammates. Gary Trent Jr. is likely to start coming off the bench. It makes sense for so many reasons that other reporters and podcasters and former players have already outlined. Gary Trent Jr. is needed coming off the bench to give that bench unit not just scoring, but playmaking. For OJ Ananobi, we need desperately a knockdown, catch and shoot, three point shooter. OG and OB by shooting almost 40% from downtown gives us exactly what we need. And as Pascal operates the middle of the court, or Fred operates that pick and roll with Scotty or with Pirtle or Precious, it means that likely defenses are not going to want either one of those options so that the Toronto Raptors have easy buckets, a mid range that Fred has been shooting at an increasingly clip, at an increasing clip, and Jakub Pertl, who shoots almost 70% from inside three feet from the basket. So the shooting for this team, the three-point catch and shoot, shooting from guys like Gary and OG are going to be very important if we're going to be able to chase down the six, or maybe even the five seed. So while the floor is the 10 and the ceiling is the five for the Toronto Raptors this season, in terms of where we finish in the Eastern conference rankings, who that really um, hinges upon is the play of Gary and OG. Now, if you look at our lineup from a points perspective, and I realize points for in the NBA are at an all-time high. Regardless of that, we have eight guys in the lineup that average 9.8 points a game and more. Eight guys. Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, Jakob Pirtle, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, and Pascal Siakam. The other guy that helps raise our ceiling and could make things very interesting in this final push of the regular season is Precious Precious Achua. Precious has played in only 35 games after he was injured in December and the early stages of January. If Precious is healthy and continues to average around 11 points a game and 7 rebounds, popping off the bench with Chris Boucher, That combination could get back to where they were last year, and who knows, even excel, even exceed where they played last year. The bench unit probably hinges upon the great play of Gary Trent Jr., but don't be surprised if they start playing well if Malachi Flynn doesn't play the best basketball of his career. The Tampa Tank season aside, Malachi Flynn has struggled greatly, but he has had some standout games. He has had them in the last three games, but he also had them when he had the chance to start when Fred Van Vliet and a few others got injured at the start of the season. Right now, Malachi Flynn has averaged 14 minutes a game and been able to score five points a game. His assist to turnover ratio is the same as Fred Van Vliet's, a very solid 3.5. If Malachi gets 12 to 15 minutes a game from Nick Nurse and gains the confidence that we've seen him play in the last three games, Malachi Flynn might just help complete a, a great bench mob unit with Thad Young, Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, Gary Trent Jr., and himself. That unit alone could have us in games or separating ourselves from teams who are not nearly as strong as us. Teams like the Detroit Pistons, making it easier for our starters, giving them a break in the fourth quarter, and maybe even allowing us to sit them in certain games like the back-to-back where we play Detroit and want to rest Fred or Pascal so that they're ready in Cleveland the next night. It's not out of the realm of possibility that we could catch the five spot, but it will be tricky. When you look at the other schedules outside of Brooklyn, who I think has the hardest first 12 games coming out of the All-Star break, which may send them on a free fall into the 8th spot if they're not careful, the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks have difficult seasons. I would say New York will probably perform their best, knowing their age and their depth and the buy-in that they have had for Tom Thibodeau. R.J. Barrett is probably the guy that gives them the highest ceiling. For me, the New York Knicks ceiling is obviously the five seed as no one's catching Cleveland, who are below them in the rankings. But because of the play of Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, the New York Knicks floor is probably the seven seed, which means the Raptors are going to have an extremely difficult time getting past them they also don't play the Knicks anymore this season the Toronto Raptors do have a game however against the Miami Heat that game takes place later in March I believe March 28th at home which ends a four-game homestand where we play the Pacers Pistons Wizards and the Heat all winnable games, and should we win all those four games, we're looking at going into the final six games of the regular season probably with at least 10, if not 12 wins, which sets us up for what could be a very memorable push here into the playoffs. And we would not be talking about the play-in, we would be talking about the playoffs. But who knows where we finish? Now, a lot of people have said, well, this team is broken. They're not great, and we should be focused on just figuring out how to maximize trades in the summer. Now, some of the arguments have been that our team, especially our best players, are too old. And my question is, have people not looked at where other teams around us, what, how old their best players are? Let's take the Brooklyn Nets, for instance. Spencer Dinwiddie is arguably their best, most complete player. Well, he's the same age as Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, who turned 29 later this year. Fred on the February 26th and Pascal on April 2nd. You look at the Chicago Bulls, whose best player is DeMar DeRozan. He's 33. Bradley Beal, I believe, turns 30 later this year. A team like the New York Knicks, I would argue that their best player is Jalen Brunson. And he is younger, he's the same age as OG and Anobi, who turns 25 this year. But with all these different stars on all these teams, including Jimmy Butler, who is 33 years old, it's safe to say that the Toronto Raptors, with their best player in Pascal Siakam being 29, are quite comfortable having a top 20 guy in the league being that age. The only team who's near us, whose best player is quite young, I would say are the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young who turns 24 later this year. But for the Atlanta Hawks, they fired two coaches in the last two years. And Nate McMillan, who helped take them to the Eastern Conference after beating the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round in 2021, have played below expectations this year and can't seem to keep Trey disciplined or to be a peaceful guy Uh, within his locker room or with the coaching staff. So for the Toronto Raptors, yes, being 10th is underperforming where we thought they would be and probably where they actually are. But having a top 20, 29-year-old, top 20 player who's a 29 is actually still in a really good position. In the NBA, 28 32 is probably the prime years of your life. When you look at the guys who have been the very best, but also role players, those ages, 28 to 32 is usually when they're at their prime. Their body is still able to be at a high level, but their mind has been able to help them understand how to play the game super well. And so Pascal Siakam's best basketball might not have even been played yet. He's still figuring out and working on his craft. And this is his best year. And even if he kept this for the next three seasons, we're in pretty good hands if we're the Toronto Raptors, having Pascal Siakam be our guy. The other thing with the Raptors that they have that a lot of other teams don't have is that they have the potential of developing a guy who could get to the top 20 players in the NBA, and that's Scotty Barnes. Now, when that happens is still un- in question, but it's possible that sometime in the next three years, let's say the 2026 season, we could see Pascal Siakam turning 32 years old at the end of his prime and Scotty Barnes turning 25 years old, entering his prime, just the beginning of it, and both of them being all-stars. If that's where this team finishes up, and again, the Bulls don't have that, the Wizards don't have that, the Hawks don't have that, the Heat don't have that, and likely the Knicks don't either. If you really think about R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett is probably not going to be a top 20 guy. He might not even be a top 30 guy. So Toronto, of the teams who are fought, ranked fifth to 12 right now in the NBA, uh, sorry, in the Eastern Conference, are right now sitting in a really good position. Again, the team who is very similar to us and kind of where they're at and who's on their team and what their potential is and what their talent is, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have a top 20 guy in Donovan Mitchell, a guy who's probably sixth or seventh in the MVP conversation. As James Harden leaves the Sixers, the Bucks get older, the three teams that are probably going to have the most talent and probably be at the top of the Eastern Conference if they can be in you know, cohesion and have lots of chemistry are the Boston Celtics, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Toronto Raptors. That's where the talent is. That's who has the elite players and has the development in the case of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors. We have Scotty Barnes. The Cavaliers have Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, who both could be, or one of which could be a top 20 guy along with Donovan Mitchell. So with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in Boston, you could potentially have three teams who have two guys who are in the top 20 of the NBA. Time will tell. And because of that, there's not that much pressure on the Toronto Raptors. Yes, there's people who think, Oh, blow it up. There's people who think this team should be Scotties now. Let's get rid of Siakam, Ananobi, and Van Vliet. But all the pieces are there in the starting lineup. The question is, will we pay those guys to continue to be in the starting lineup? And can we attract or trade for a bona fide backup veteran point guard like Monte Morris or like Mike Conley was this season. I mean, who knows? We'll see how Mike Conley plays in Minnesota this year, who will be that Mike Conley in the next two seasons that hopefully the Raptors can get. But that's kind of where the Raptors are. In terms of age, the Raptors... Are the 14th youngest team right in the middle. And having traded Kem Birch away and getting Jakob Pirtle, we're actually a little bit younger than we started the season with. To be 14th, to have a top 20 guy in the NBA, and to have the type of talent as Scotty Barnes in his second year, the pressure's not really on us at all because of our youthfulness but because we weren't expected to be a championship team. So who are those teams that have more pressure than us? Well, it's easy to point them out, especially at the top end. The Clippers are a championship or bust. This is the fourth season with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They have been to the conference finals once. In fact, that 2021 appearance in the conference finals, unfortunately, where they did not have The services of Kawhi Leonard because he got injured at the end of the Utah series, was their only conference finals appearance in franchise history. The Philadelphia 76ers have tons of pressure. If Doc Rivers cannot get his team to the conference finals, something that he has not achieved yet, something that Joel Embiid has not achieved yet, Doc Rivers' job is gone, and probably James Harden does not return to this team. Even with that, if they can't get to the finals, the Bucs have done it, the Celtics have done it, and it would mean four years where Joel Embiid has not done it. And that would be a real loss for them, and might mean that their GM is finding himself a new job in Daryl Morley. The Phoenix Suns went all in with Kevin Durant coming and many draft picks and core role players like Mikal Bridges going to the Brooklyn Nets. If they can't get at least to the finals, but probably if they can't win a championship, it will be a big disappointment. General manager uh, James Jones job might be uh, in question. And who knows where CP3 ends up, who we know is already on the descent. The Cavs, sorry, not the the Cavs, the Mavs are the other team that probably are championship or bust, because if they can't get at least to the finals, Kyrie Irving is probably not returning. That leaves a lot of teams, especially in the West, with a lot of pressure. But it's not just championship teams who are in trouble. The Grizzlies got to win and get out of the first round again. The Wolves have to get to the playoffs and probably win a first round after all the money that they've spent seeing D'Angelo Russell go, seeing Rudy Gobert come to the team. This team, their future is now. And if they can't win with Rudy Gobert, what do you do at the end of the season? I think a GM's job is probably in question there. Should they not get to the second round? Now the Sacramento Kings have a different kind of pressure. It's not because they haven't played well this season. In fact, they are the surprise in the Western conference and you could argue the league. They are trying to break the curse, the Kobe curse who knocked them out of the playoffs back in 2002. And, uh, Knocked them out of the playoffs for good. They have not been back to the playoffs, I believe, since 2003. That's rough. Can you imagine being Sacramento? I mean, the Hornets are pretty pretty terrible too. But to not be in the playoffs for 20 years, that's a lot of pressure on them to do it this year. And it's not guaranteed. You have teams like Golden State, Minnesota, L.A., Portland, Utah, all trying to get in to the playoffs. If the Kings can't finish at least in the sixth seed and they slide into that play-in, they might find themselves in a very high-pressured, difficult play-in game. And maybe two. And if that's the case, they might not get in. They are there's a lot of pressure riding on this final stretch of the season for them, although I don't think anyone's going to lose their job for it. The Miami Heat and the Trailblazers, is it over? Is it time to mix things up? It just might be. Kyle Lowry is on a $30 million uh, a year deal right now, and this is only his second year. Gosh, the Raptors won that trade, in my opinion, on a bigger picture level. Precious Achua, I think, has already had more impact and been more effective for the Raptors this year than Kyle Lowry has, and he earns a tenth of what Lowry earns. Damian Lillard, can he find himself in a better position? Because he might not make the playoffs this year. Again, I would love to see Damian Lillard be traded for Trey Young. Surround Trey with all those shooters and give Damian Lillard... The opportunity to play with a more veteran coach and a team that has a really strong defensive lineup within the conference that's probably a little bit easier to make the playoffs and win a first round. Now, the Celtics and the Nuggets, they definitely have more pressure than the Raptors, but nowhere near the top. Both Celtics and the Nuggets, at least for the next three seasons, are going to be contenders in their conferences and maybe in the league. I would expect that the Celtics and Nuggets, one of those two teams, will win a championship in the next two seasons. You might even see both of them win a championship in the next two seasons with all the talent, depth, and the coaching that they have. So where do the Raptors fall? The Raptors fall probably somewhere in the middle, just like their age. They and the Cavs and the Pelicans are probably the teams who have the talent, the age, and the desire to win where you would imagine that the pressure will only build from this year on, but the pressure's not nearly as high as it will be in, in the years to come. So I put them in the middle. And you know what? That's not a bad place to be where you don't have – a ton of pressure to get to the conference finals but you're building toward it. So even if the Raptors aren't weren't able to get to the 5 seed, even if they didn't win a first round as the 5, 6 or 7 seed, that's okay. The main thing for the Raptors is get, just get to the playoffs and then you can at least have something to say Knowing that, something positive to say, knowing that you started the season without a center and without that quality veteran backup point guard. Who's on the hot seat for the Raptors, speaking of pressure? If they weren't to make the playoffs, if, say, they finished ninth, won the first play-in game, and then lost the second play-in game to a team like the Miami Heat, who would have the most pressure on them? Well, I think Nick Nurse for sure would have the most pressure on them. That makes sense with Nate McMillan getting fired at a very bizarre time. And I'm, I'm actually glad the Raptors did, haven't fired Nick Nurse at this point in the season. But I still think that Nick Nurse would be under fire for sure in the summer. I think there's probably a lot of tweaking they'd want to do both offensively and defensively that he's going to have to adjust to if he wants his team to be able to fire on all cylinders and get the most out of everyone, but also get the most buy-in from everyone. If the Raptors weren't able to get to the playoffs, I think Fred Van Vliet's got a lot of pressure. He does have a play-in option, which he might choose to exercise, but Clutch sports and Fred might decide once again to bet on himself and get himself to a bigger, better market, or at least an American market. Possibly Chicago could be a destination for him. But if Fred can't lead his team to the playoffs as a point guard who's just turned 29, who's in the prime of his career, and having just come off an all-star season, that might leave a lot of questions Around Fred VanVleet, we'll see. OG Anunoby is probably third on the pressure list within the franchise, and the reason for that is that OG seems to be a little um, difficult if he doesn't get his way. Now, I don't know that personally, but that seems to be all the messaging, both from within the Toronto media and with the NBA media at large. Who knows? For OG and he could be traded. And if he doesn't perform well, he might not be able to go to a team that he actually wants to go to. But he's got the skill set to be able to attract some of the bigger teams. Would Phoenix not want OG and to be beside Devin Booker and Kevin Durant? Of course they would. It would set up something similar that Boston has right now and there's other teams. I'm sure the Los Angeles Lakers would la- rather have Anobi than Rio Hachimura. And and team upon team would be looking for a guy like Oginenobi. Even the Memphis Grizzlies might want more shooting to add to their lineup in around John Morant rather than a guy like Dylan Brooks. Is it possible that Mississauga's boy Dylan Brooks would come to the Raptors? He would offer something very similar to OG Ananobi without needing to have to be as good a three-point shooter. After OG Ananobi, I think Nick Nurse's main staff member's jobs would be in trouble. Earl Watson, internally anyways, would probably be the next coach for the Toronto Raptors, but they may decide to go elsewhere and find the coach externally. I think Nate Bjorkman with Nick Nurse getting knocked out would probably lose favor from within the organization. And I think so would Adrian Griffin, who's the main assistant, the lead assistant within Toronto. The last guy who I'll talk about who's in the pressure seat within the Toronto Raptors is Masai Ujiri. Now, you could also add Bobby Webster, and it's arguable, you could argue, sorry, that Bobby Webster should be ahead of Masai Ujiri. But Masai made a mistake. He really did. And he's the spokesman at the end of the day for the front office. We didn't go out and get ambitious enough to get Pirtle as we should have done at the start of the season. Had we have done that, we would have set up this team and Nick Nurse for a much better position to make a run for that five seed. Heck, we might already be the five seed. Masai Ujiri, however, has this beautiful position that he gets to watch and he gets to create this roster um, for the benefit of Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. And we knew this year was not going to be the year where their primes would maybe intersect. That's still two or three years away. So he still has time to evaluate this roster, and I think those are in charge of MLSE still have time to evaluate Masai before they make any decision on him. The truth is with this Toronto Raptor is that they have more talent than we're willing to accept, to concede about. We like to rip Pascal, Fred, and OG at different times this season. We like to um, underappreciate Jakob Pirtle's abilities and fit for this team. We like to shit talk Nick Nurse when things don't go well. But the truth is all of those guys are at the high point of their careers and are right up there with some of the best uh, in their field within the NBA. Nick Nurse is a top five coach. Now, whether the players buy in is a whole nother thing. The talent on this team is a top five talent within the Eastern Conference. And if everyone can buy in and get behind Nick Nurse, and Nick Nurse is willing to loosen his philosophies a little bit going into the end of this season, and we gain momentum as a team together and we get wins, I think everyone will be excited about what this team can do come the play-in or maybe the playoffs. That's where we stand. That's where we sit. And if there's one message that you're going to hear a lot over the next 23 games of this regular season and possibly into the playoffs, should we get ourselves out of the play-in, it is stay in the present. There are going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be obstacles, but there is a lot of optimism to believe that we can get in to the eight seed. And if we get Brooklyn as the seven seed, or we are the seven seed, I think we're going to solidify ourselves in the playoffs. It's likely that we're going to be, you know, 12 to 14 games better than we are right now. Um, through these 23 games. And it's likely we're going to find ourselves against uh, a real Eastern Conference contender like Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston. At the start of the season, if we got one of those three teams, it was unlikely that we could actually win that series. And so we're not that far behind. Should we pull off a great run before the playoffs and get to the five seed, well, now we've met the expectations that we had at the start of the season to be the five seed. And knowing that our opponent is not the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers, but it's the Cleveland Cavaliers, man, then who knows what could happen. So let's stay present. Let's get excited. Let's get behind this team and see what can happen. New Orleans Pelicans are tonight. Hope you're able to watch. Hope you're able to enjoy. Until then, peace.